Hi, it's John here and I'm back. I hope you haven't missed me too much over the past few weeks. I've been recovering from Covid, having a lovely holiday in the sun and above all enjoying Easter that someone else was responsible for all those different services. But we're back again now and we're starting today a new series of podcasts which I want to introduce to you today. As a preacher I didn't generally repeat sermons or sermon series. There are one or two that I've done in the past and and I did feel it was appropriate to do again and revisit in different settings. Um, But generally speaking I enjoy generating new material after all there's so much in the bible um, that we haven't yet discovered so why go back over the old stuff however recently i was clearing out a load of old cassettes remember them those little teepy things that used to come unwound and you had to stick biros in to sort them out well i found a load of those recorded um i think it was either 95 or 96 while i was a vicar in coventry and i discovered a a preaching series which i'd kind of forgotten but if you pressed me i would tell you that it was the best preaching series i have ever done which I think really means I enjoyed it. Uh, I think the people did as well. So a good friend converted the cassettes into MP3s and I listened back to those talks and I thought, you know, with a bit of updating, they still might be valuable 26 years on. And so that's what you're getting. The series, as you will have seen, is called Culture and the Mind of Christ. And as we begin today, part one of the introduction, there's actually two weeks of introduction, um, I hope that you'll begin to see what the series means and what it's all about, and in particular why it's so important. Now, as you know, it's my usual style to... Um, study through a particular book of the Bible or a particular um, historical period like the wilderness that we've just done. Um, So in that sense some of you may feel well that's not really Bible. I'm hoping it will be biblical but in a different way and uh, theologians talk about practical theology where you start with a situation and you reflect on it in the light of scripture rather than starting with the bible and kind of drawing out what it might have to say to us so i hope that you won't be too disappointed because it's not my usual you know 36 weeks on leviticus kind of thing so i want to begin with a story A little girl is helping her mum in the kitchen and mum has a large ham joint which she is going to boil. We boil ours in ginger beer by the way just in case that's of help to anyone. You get free recipes on this podcast as well. 
So the little girl watches as mum takes the plastic wrapping off this ham bone, gets a great big cleaver and chops three inches of bone off the end and then puts the meat into the water or the ginger beer and sets it off to boil. And the little girl, as little girls do, is curious and she asks the question, Mum, why did you chop the end of that bone off? And Mum scratched her head and, and she said, Do you know, I, I have no idea why I, I do that. I always do do it when I'm cooking ham. Um, that's what my mum used to do. But I don't know why she did it. Well, as it would happen, a little bit later, Grandma came over and the little girl remembered this conversation and asked her grandma, Grandma, my mummy always chops some bone off the ham. What's that about? And Grandma says, well, I used to do that. I taught her to do that. But I really don't know what it's all about. I wonder if great-grandma knows, because that's who taught me. Now, as it would happen for the purposes of this story, great-grandma is still alive, and so they meet up at Christmas or something, and the little girl says, Great-grandma, can you tell me why my mummy and my grandma always cut a bit of bone off the ham? And they, they say that you taught them to do it. And great-granny says, oh, yeah, that's because we didn't have a saucepan big enough. That story illustrates the fact that culture just is. And we rarely ask questions about it. And if we do ask questions about it, sometimes the answer is, I've no idea. Culture's been defined as the way we do things around here. And so the point of this series is that we actually do stop, like that little girl, to ask some questions. Now let me say right at the start here, I am not a qualified philosopher. We did some philosophy when I was at university, but this will be amateurish and it will be noddy to any real philosophers who might be uh, listening to this by mistake. But nevertheless, I still hope it'll be helpful. So what is culture? What do we mean by that? In fact, it's a very complex thing and it, op it operates at lots of levels and has lots of ingredients. It can be as simple as clothes. People from different cultures dress differently and their clothing becomes a cultural marker. So the really ancient among you will remember mods and rockers back in the 60s. Slightly younger, you will remember hippies and skinheads. And more recently, you get things like goths and chavs and, and lots of other things. And each of those tribes are a particular culture, and that is marked by what they wear. Whether you shop at Aquascutum or Sports Direct will say something about you and where you belong. 
in society. And of course, class in the UK particularly is a really important cultural marker. Whether on an evening out you would go to the working men's club or the wine bar. Where I live, it's whether you support Wednesday or United, the Owls or the Blades. That's very much a class thing in Sheffield. Or even whether you support football at all, or you go for rugby or cricket or fencing or, or something like that. The regions in our country have different cultures. So if you've got a day off, you might, depending on where you live, go for a day's whippet racing. You might prefer to go dwile flonking. Or you might go to Royal Ascot. They're regional differences. There are obviously racial cultures within our country. There are different accents which tell us a little bit about that. What you call a role is a really big cultural and regional marker. And one academic talks about culture in terms of articulation. don't know whether you've seen on telly those Australian land trains, uh, which is like an Arctic but with loads of different trucks, all joined together, articulated together. And culture uses all these different things like clothing and accent and leisure and so on to mark out people where they belong. Now, of course, Christianity is a culture. There are lots of strange things that we do that other people wouldn't. And even within that, there are subcultures. Anglican culture is very different from Baptist culture, um, whether we drink alcohol or not. For example, high church and low church culture. And so it goes on. So you can go very deeply into this, and, and that is what I call kind of the micro level. But I don't want to deal with that in this series. I want to zoom out to a much bigger culture that we all lived within until fairly recently, the culture called Western Modernism. Now, this is the point where we need to get into philosophy, and I want to give you some long words, and there are four of them which we're going to see as important. The first one is called worldview, and that's fairly easy to understand. It's the way we view the world. What's true and what isn't? Where did it all come from? How does it work? What's my place within it? Those, those kind of questions. And worldview is made up of three main components. And uh, there will be an exam at the end of this course. But don't worry, because I'm going to provide a glossary each week um, on the page where you're listening to this, which will help you to um, understand some of these words. 
so the the second big word is metaphysics and metaphysics is the study of ultimate reality what's really going on metaphysics deals with the big questions about life the universe and everything so is there a god is a metaphysical question the word um, comes from the greek which means beyond the physical uh, it isn't about what is a tree or uh, you know those kind of physical questions it is about is there a god how does the world work third big word epistemology and that is the study of how we know things from where do we get information which allows us to answer the metaphysical questions do we know stuff because our five senses tell us so do we know stuff because of our upbringing what we've been told since we were very little do we know stuff because books tell us or, or nowadays websites tell us do we know stuff because of wikipedia or is it about intuition it, it it's just how i feel about things i i just feel that this that and the other now that may seem a silly question but we're going to see how desperately important it is as we go through this series so worldview made up of metaphysics epistemology and here's the third one and you will be familiar with this ethics in the light of my metaphysical answers and my epistemological answers how should i live is there right and wrong who says so what is fair what is not fair those kind of questions about practical down-to-earth day-to-day living are ethical questions now the point about all this is that we are born into a culture we don't decide not the big picture stuff anyway we may decide whether to be a hippie or a skinhead but we don't decide whether we're going to be western modernists or not we, we just are that that's just how things are we don't so much learn as we imbibe with our mother's milk uh, the answers to the questions in that worldview. Another meaning of culture, not unrelated, is to do with petri dishes in labs, and you provide the right medium, and stuff just grows there. And that's what happens with culture. We've all grown up within the culture of Western modernism, and we've probably never thought about it it's just where we are now it's worth saying at this point that culture is not a bad thing it's an inevitable thing there might be bad things within it and there might be good things and there might be neutral things within it but culture itself is not uh, open to moral judgment so if we live in a culture where murder is wrong 
you'd probably agree that that was a, a good thing, a positive thing. What clothes we wear is probably a neutral question, although increasingly we have been invited to think about the ethics of what we wear. But, you know, if I prefer wearing purple to wearing grey, um, that's just a choice and I'm free to make that. And I don't really think that, that God is that bothered, to be honest, although I do think he likes purple because there's a lot of it in the Bible. But if our culture says it's okay to lie through your teeth and get away with it, we might say that that's a bad thing. So, so culture is not a boo word, but the point is because we're born into it, it is just the way we do things around here. And we, so we rarely stop to question it or to evaluate it. And in particular, there are two equal and opposite errors that we make. We fail to critique our culture in the light of the Bible, but we often do critique the Bible in the light of culture. So a couple of examples. Um, we've all heard the rhetoric on telly when uh, a politician or a famous figure gets caught doing something naughty. Uh, and the, the answer comes out, their private life is none of our business. It doesn't affect their professional life. And that's that's a fairly widely accepted point of view within our culture. And I want to say, where does it say that in the Bible? Isn't there so much in the Bible about character and integrity? You know, if this guy can lie to his wife, why do we believe he's not lying to his electorate? And so when we look at some of these things that everybody is saying and everybody is doing in the light of Scripture, they're open to question. We don't often do that. We don't uh, take the Bible to examine our culture, but what we do the other side in modernist culture is that we use that culture to examine the bible and to critique that so for example one of the doctrines of modernist culture is there's no such thing as the supernatural and so we read the bible in that light there was a famous um, theologian rudolf bultmann in the last century um, thoroughly a child of modernism and he went to his bible and he saw jesus healing and casting out demons and stilling storms and what have you and he says well of course we know that can't possibly be true because the supernatural can't happen um, and so therefore the bible is an unreliable document and not something we should trust. And Bultmann went through on an exercise called demythologizing, taking out of it with a big blue pencil all the things um, that he thought were merely myths. And whilst Bultmann is a bit out of date now, the effects of that, a friend of mine said, most Christians to all practical purposes are atheists. They kind of believe in the idea of a God, but a God who actually does something 
um, they don't believe in. And that is where culture has been allowed to critique scripture. As you probably know, I used to live in Coventry and one of my favourite bits in Coventry Cathedral was the sculpture of the plumb line based on Amos chapter 7 where uh, God was using that picture to the prophet to see how upright the city is. A plumb line is always true. It's always upright because of gravity. And we measure everything else against that. So that's what this series is about. Looking at culture through the lens of scripture. So we probably ought to bring in a bit of scripture Uh, although we will get a lot more next week. And I want to turn you to Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favourite chapters of the Bible, a chapter written to a group of people who have been infected by their culture. They've been displaced into exile. They're living in Babylon and they're surrounded by a, a foreign culture, an alien culture, They're surrounded by the worship of loads of different gods. And understandably, it's easy to get overwhelmed, to forget their background and to drift into collusion with that culture. And what's interesting in Isaiah 40 is you can see those three bits of worldview critiqued by the prophet as he calls them back to God. So verse 25 to 6, you've got metaphysics. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Yahweh is God, not these little tin pot idols that you're constantly surrounded with. That's the ultimate reality. That's metaphysics. Then you get epistemology. How do we know? And verse 21 and 2, he tackles that. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from you? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? You've forgotten the truth you knew that you had Um, imbibed from your own culture the truth that was revealed to you by God active in your midst in in the exodus in in so many other um, areas and then finally ethics in verse 27 why do you complain Jacob why do you say Israel my way is hidden from the Lord my cause is disregarded by my God. Stop moaning and get back to believing. This has practical outworkings in the way that you behave. And by the way, verse 9, tell others. Encourage one another with the truth, not drag one another down with negativity. And of course, Jesus does the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. You have been taught... But I say, you've been infected by the culture of Jewish legalism and the scribes and the Pharisees. But I say, 
and Jesus calls them back to God and, and back to a true understanding of the purpose of the law and the Jewish faith. So next week we're going to look at the biblical idea of the mind of Christ and it will be a lot more biblical, I promise you. And then we're going to go on and trace about five, six hundred years of Western culture until we arrive at where we are today. Um, I hope you enjoy this series as much as I'm going to as I uh, update it and prepare it but I just before I stop one final question which you're probably all asking anyway why why bother with this why does John think it's so brilliant this material uh, why should we bother to do this can't just you know can't we get back to Nahum or something like that well I think there are three reasons inevitably why this material is important and one of the most strategic series I've ever preached number one it's for our benefit it'll be interesting you will find this interesting that that's a command some pennies will drop for people it will be intellectually stretching and in my experience, congregations enjoy that um, if I can make it easy enough to understand uh, without being patronising. So I'll do my best to do that. So it'll do us good. Secondly, it's for the benefit of others. It is evangelistically important that we understand culture, that we speak the same language as those around us we see that don't we with Paul preaching in Athens in Acts 17 and he's obviously done his homework he understands this Greek culture so alien to him as a Pharisee and he's able to speak into it and, and make connections and we need to understand if we are to be credible witnesses to all those around us we need to understand their metaphysics what do they really believe the universe is all about we need to understand their epistemology do we just do things because we feel that's the right thing to do uh, and therefore coming up those to their ethics why people live as they do so our benefit, others benefit, but finally I believe God's benefit. God wants a special, distinctive people who understand him and the world and who worship him and live for him appropriately. And when we live in the light of God and when we live differently from our culture, then that is a tremendous witness people may not like us but they really can respect us and see our integrity so everyone's a winner and we'll get on with it next week <laughs>